You're listening to the Nerd Best Friends Podcast. If you know what RSS stands for, you're in the right place. Everybody, welcome back to Nerd Best Friends. We're at episode seven. This is Annalise, and I'm here with my best friend Rob. Hey, it's me, Rob, your best friend, your podcast host, and your cosplay costume contest judge. Ooh, very fancy. This episode, speaking of cosplay, we're going to be talking about cons, particularly San Diego Comic Con, probably the most famous one of them all. And nerd cons in general. But before we get there, Rob, what is our craft beer of the episode? Craft beer of the episode this week is, we're going to go with the whole brewery. We're going to talk about Golden Road Brewery in Los Angeles, California. They make a number of delicious beers and they're pretty local to us. They run a good gamut of different kinds of beers. If you were to look at the bell curve, they have things on both ends. They've got nice, strong, hoppy IPAs, and they also have fruit flavors, melon cart, watermelon cart, things like that. They are fun and they are pretty prevalent around the Los Angeles area if you find yourself there. Other things of note is their involvement with the Heal the Bay conservation efforts where they do ocean cleanups and things like that, which is always worthy to shout out. So Golden Road Brewery is our craft beer of the week or episode, student. Thank you for that, Rob. And how about Nerd Mail? Nerd Mail. I did get some feedback from listener Rose wrote in after listening to our one of our earlier episodes about 80s movies and uh, those different genres that we liked. And she said that in her family, they also always have to differentiate between 80s PG-13 and now PG-13 because there's a big difference there. Yes, there is. And you mean a reference to like what they show their kids? Right. Yeah. Okay. For sure. And for me, I've received some great feedback and reviews about The Wisdom of Gunkles, which Michael was our our guest last episode. Lots of positive feedback about that book and some questions on where to get it. So wisdomofgunkles.com or do a search for it and you can find the book pretty much anywhere you would buy a book right now. So thanks for listening to that episode. And Michael, I hope the book sales and tour is going well. I had a really good time talking with Michael and I hope people enjoyed that episode. Agreed. Same. It was very nice for all the, all the weaving we have that we have our past with him in band in high school, but also just reconnecting as adults and about something so particular was very nice. So this week we're talking about cons in specifically conventions like comic book conventions. We'll call themselves Comic Con, although that is a licensed company name. So where many cities called themselves Salt Lake Comic Con, Las Vegas Comic Con, etc. The Comic Con company itself actually put a stop to that. So your favorite con in your area might go by a different name now, but it is still the same gigantic hub of nerdery. We're looking at the history of cons, in particular, the Comic Con as a company is all based out of a con that started in San Diego, focused on comic books in 1970. So the San Diego Comic Con celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2020 and did a virtual Comic Con due to the pandemic. But in that 50 years, what we know as Comic Con has evolved from a few hundred people in a room talking to creators and content makers and people looking for backing and selling their comic books to this huge 
extravaganza of celebrating nerdisms uh, across the spectrum, which really falls into the all these things we talk about in our podcast. If I'm not mistaken, Rob, you have never been to a Comic Con. No, I have never been to an official Comic-Con or one of these big media events that they are like now. I have been to uh, local comic book conventions, hilariously very similar to how you would describe Comic-Con in the late 50s or early 60s. A big parking lot full of tables and coverings with people and all their long boxes out and their collectors and, and going around and doing some some shopping and trying to find those missing pieces of your collection and things like that. That was pretty fun. And then just some very small conventions, one called Nerdtacular in Salt Lake City. I went to a couple times, a tight knit group of like a podcast network and some artists and things that I had a really good time at, but there was some cosplay there. And, and, and you know, you go out of town and you stay, but nothing quite so big is what we're going to be talking about today. I know that something we've mentioned in previous episodes is that as nerdism has evolved, the idea behind a con is really pretty open-ended. You could have a con about anything you're nerdy about, right? The The Walking Dead, the fandom of The Walking Dead, there's Walking Dead cons all over the country consistently where they bring in actors from the show and they're all over different states. I know I've seen that like on Facebook or social medias, you mentioned jokingly once someday down the line, we'll have nerd best friends con, which we bring together people who just want to talk about all the nerdy things and play tabletop games and, and just hang out and talk about the craft beers and whatever. I don't know that I've ever been to anything like it, which is odd because I love these types of things. I've been to CES, which is the consumer electronic show, which is more of a trade show because it's displaying the upcoming electronics. And then same idea, there are smaller rooms of this giant show in Las Vegas where people are looking for backing for products. It's kind of like a Kickstarter, but in person. And that alone is a little bit of a con because... Can we argue that cons have also become trade shows, right? The entertainment industry has really turned Comic-Con on its ear, particularly in San Diego, where it's become a media blitz for anything and everything related to nerds and comic books. And I think our two guests today are going to help us kind of sift through that to people that have been to Comic-Cons particularly San Diego Comic-Con, not only as guests of the Comic-Con, but also presenters for well over a decade, decade and a half to give us some insight on what Comic-Con actually is. Conventions are famous for their cosplay and cosplay is different than dress up, right? It's different than Halloween. In Halloween, you're going to a party, you go to the Halloween store that sets up in, you know, early August, you know, in the old abandoned warehouse district that you pick something up and, and you wear it to your costume. Cosplay is a handcrafted, diligently detailed oftentimes homemade using professional grade quality prop making skills, tools and materials to produce just absolutely incredible, incredible costumes that that are prevalent at these cons. I would say one of the most fun and nerdy things that I started doing was in my Instagram feed, following cosplayers and people that make these costumes and seeing like making swords out of foam and making them light up and the painting techniques and the artistry with engineering and the drafting and the failures and successes of these people that are walking around with 16 foot wingspans that, you know, angel wings that grow out of their back and move and flap. 
there's some incredible things going on in that community. And I think it's really interesting to see. So we spoke to two people much more versed in the con universe than Rob or myself. They are two people who work in the entertainment industry as well. Andrea Avila and Tamara Brooks. And Annalise had a chance to sit down and interview those two people. And that was pre-recorded. So we're going to put that in now. Enjoy. I would like to welcome our two guests here with us today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Tamara Brooks. I am a somewhat lapsed, but still active on the Twitter's freelance entertainment journalist, among other things of my day job. And yeah, I'm an Omni nerd, and we'll get into that later. Andrea Avila Weiler. So how I pay the bills is I work for within their film technology team as a distribution technologist. So I would say I'm a tech nerd in my day-to-day, but in my outside of that, I'm a dilettante nerd, as I like to dabble in a variety of things, but I've yet to become quite the expert. Very wonderful. Do you prefer that we call you Andrea or can we call you Drea? How, what, what do you like to be called? Call me Drea because I know y'all. All right. So a little bit of nerd connections before we continue. We do this with all of our guests. So the nerd connections here is that I marched in the USC marching band with both Dre and Tamara. We Mm -hmm. were in the same class. So four years in the Trojan marching band and then now a lifetime sense of nerdy type connections and different things as our lives have evolved. But that leads me to my next question, Drea and Tamara, what kind of nerds are you? So I said Omni-Nerd because I love all the things I'm interested in, and I'm interested in a lot of different things. So I like cooking and baking. I like K-pop. I like comic books. I like movies and TV. So one of my sisters and I were watching Murdoch Mysteries, which is this Canadian gentle murder show that's been going on for like 15 years. And we just started watching it over the pandemic. I enjoy it. Uh, you know, I'm a writer. Part of my, I'm a nerd for storytelling in general. So whatever that takes form in. I first started playing D&D a couple of years ago. And now I'm a dice nerd, but it's great. Once you get, a, once you get play, start playing and you get a set of dice, you will, you will then start collecting as many dice as possible because they're just, there's so many of them and they're so pretty. Truth, truth, um, truth. Yes. And sometimes they betray you. You put them in dice jail if you have Yes, to. you got to do it. Um, so yeah, Omni-Nerd all the things. There's more things to be interested in. Mythology, like learning about ancient civilizations, just all the things. And how about you, Dre? So I said dilettante because there's just not enough hours in the day to delve into it. But tomorrow I hit on a couple of many things. And maybe that's why we're such good friends. Like Greek mythology, I remember borrowing the same book in the library all the time. So I could memorize all the Greek myths, took classes in it, but you know, never took it any further. Love music, going to live concerts. I say I'm a music nerd or bad nerd, how I met y'all. I'm a self-proclaimed word nerd, but I say dilettante because I can't quite always remember them, but I love polysyllabic words so much so that I actually started taking online course linguistics. Wow. And then technology. I mean, I'm an engineer classically by training, so I just love anything technology, electricity running through it. I I was going to say, can I mention how cool it is that you took an engineering degree into the film industry? I mean, I know there's a, there's a few points along the path there to get to where you are, but it blows my mind to think about like the origins. Uh, You don't ever think, and I don't think most people think engineering degree into movie studio type work, but it's there. It has to be there, especially now with all the streaming and and the way the industry has evolved is, is pretty crazy. Well, I'm super excited. And what I'm nerding about right now, as both of you are talking and introducing yourselves, is that we have three women of color 
which I think is also pretty unique, not only to the podcast world, but to talking about these nerdisms, which segues me a little bit into comic cons. So as a little bit of a background for the both of you to know, and for our listeners to know, Rob and I have never been to any sort of comic con or nerd con of any type with one exception. If I speak on Rob's behalf, Rob mentioned that he has been to something called Nerdtacular, which was in Utah. He went for a few years in a row and it's just all board gaming. Not, I want to say gaming, but it's not, I, from my understanding, it's not video gaming. It, it's just all tabletop games. Yeah. So he went to that for a few years and that was the closest to any sort of con that he or I have ever been to. So we bring you both onto the episode to talk about comic cons. Tomorrow, if I start with you, can you talk to me about how many times roughly the types of cons you've been to to start? I have gone, Drea, do you remember the first year we went the that 2000 you at the murder hotel i think yeah. we went before i went to the murder hotel oh we did 2005. okay wait wait hold on hold on murder <laughs> hotel you mean a sketchy place you stayed or was that a theme of comic con when you no, no. Wish. 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 no no it was uh it was maybe the sketchiest hotel i've ever stayed in yeah we like we had to go out to like cvs or something like almost hold like the seance to like cleanse the place it was so foul <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Um, was, okay. Yeah. So I thought it was around 2005. So that means I've been going con for 15 years before the pandemic happened. Rob has been to a con. So that's a lie because tabletop board game, they count as a con. I know that when people, when people say con, they mean comics specifically now, specifically because San Diego Comic Con is the it brand. You know, it's, that's like the biggest one. And then New York is after that. And then like either Emerald City or Chicago, depending on who you ask, those are like the top, you know, four, we'll say, that has the most entertainment presence. WonderCon is a pretty big one as well. They're run by the same people who do San Diego. They do have TV stuff there too, but it still feels on a smaller scale, but it does have like big scale um, cosplayers there. So you get to see some amazing costumes there. So I've gone to San Diego, I think every year for like 15 years. I've been to WonderCon probably 10 years. I've been to Long Beach a couple of times. I've been to, it's now Los Angeles Comic Con. It used to be Kamikaze. I've been there since it started. I've not made it out of state to any of the fun ones. Like there's a lot of ones in Vegas. So they'll have Trek cons. They'll have, why wouldn't you have a bunch of conventions in Vegas? I mean, mean, Vegas is all conventions. I lived there for nine years and I still never went to anything. Yeah. So it's, you know, it just makes sense to have it. Lots of hotels, lots of space, you know, and I started out going as a civilian and then that's, and then I got into freelance entertainment. I basically been working varying degrees for a long time. And then the last about five years, I think it was, I started being a panelist. So I was able to level up through my first panel was I think 2011 at Los Angeles Comic-Con. So my specialty has always been talking about inclusion and representation. And so these were things I was talking about before it became a mainstream thing. I did ask a showrunner why all the Black people on the show were dead or jerks. I did not mean to phrase it that way, but it's true. So I have no regrets. But this was like, you know, nobody was really talking about it like that at the time. So that there are a lot of wide eyes around the table. And I, I definitely want to hear more about your experience as a panelist. If I move you from that uh, for a second sure. and, and interrupt you for that for a second. And, Please, because um, I'll ramble. <laughs> no, that's okay. Rambling is good, especially in a, in a in a media format that we can edit. But first, Drea, can you talk to us about, or I would say your con experience? I think yeah, the first comic con, right? San Diego, the con was 2006, but I actually have memories. My dad 
would take me to like these little local like comic book conventions. It would be like in the basement of a hotel and they would have like all the comic book boxes just there. And I would buy like Wonder Woman comics like four for a dollar with like, you know, when you're like seven years old is like super expensive. And now I'm like, that's a freaking deal. So I've probably been going to like those little tiny tiny rinky dink conventions since I was, I don't know, nine or so years old. And Comic-Con was always, actually my dad had gone to Comic-Con before me. I'm remembering this now. And he came back with like all these comic books, like, look, they're just giving away for free. And, you know, this was not the con that we know today, right? Where it's like, just, it's, it's a spreader event now for COVID. (laughs) There's no no way. So I remember my dad telling me about Comic-Con and it was like this Mecca, you know, to always try to get there. And and finally got to go there. But before that, actually, me and Tamara would go to some local comic book conventions near USC at the Shrine. Always, though, you know, I felt like me and Tamara are always like the token women, women of color. And, you know, look like we took showers and took care of ourselves, <laughs> just to put it nicely. So I guess so cons have always been, and then as an engineer, you know, always being standing out as a woman of color. I won't say I felt awkward. It, it almost just felt regular, you know, to go to conventions. It, it didn't feel weird. And then, you know, we would, we would learn the tricks going to Comic-Con. When you go to Comic-Cons in general, or any convention, if you want to see a panel, we've learned you got to be there two panels beforehand because they're going to fill up. Don't ever expect to show up and get the thing that you want ever. Yeah. There's, we can run through the tricks by, by con, by local one to see which. which yeah. And for sure. Tricks. That is a question for sure. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't been, I just can't help but feel that I look at it from the outside, right? I can read, I did some research for the episode and, you know, San Diego comic con started in the seventies and it, you know, 2020 was the 50th. Uh, anniversary, which I know was halted because of the pandemic. And I think it was, it was, it was virtual. It was hosted virtually. Yes. They had a virtual, I was on one of those, but still up there. There we go. What I could read about it is it started as that idea of comic book lovers getting together and and people who were fans of different comic books and a, a bit of a trade show, if you will, people selling comics and people looking for investors because they have an idea about a comic book at a time when you couldn't just go print off your own and sell them online. It turned into what we now know as maybe a media blitz by the entertainment industry. My only connection to anything Comic-Con is Drea knew all the things. You knew all the things I was nerdy about. So you like would send me pictures like, oh, look, they're here from Dexter because you love that show. I think I actually still have a pair of headphones, like some of the swag you brought back and gave to me. I have a set of headphones that are like Dexter and all red like it's blood. (laughs) By the way, we're talking about the Showtime Dexter for listeners, not the not the cartoon. My only other point of reference on Comic Cons is an episode of Entourage, which the character Johnny Drama goes to sell pictures autograph pictures at a booth because he was in a show that nerds like and it just looks like pandemonium but it looks like fun and so i'm really sad that i've never never actually gone and genuinely interested based on what your experiences both of you did comic con create cosplay and the industry of cosplay i think but it did not create it but it helped people recognize it in the states like, I can't speak to, because I know that in Japan, there's a lot of cosplay going on there prior to it even being as big of a deal here. And I don't know the exact history of it, but I do think that more than just San Diego local news coverage happened, then it became the thing. And like the people in costumes are such a iconic image. I mean, honestly, the technical skills of these cosplayers, a lot of them is unbelievable. Better than some of the people that get paid 
to do movies in some in some cases because like I've seen actual transforming transformer costumes with like mechanics in it like I've seen it they, the guy will go down a thing he'll be an Optimus Prime and it'll he'll this whole thing will turn into a truck just wild stuff they have an android building brigade that's that's you know part of the Star Wars so there's a lot of droids running around and looping at you you know so that's really fun because R two D two talked to me one day and that was very nice so you know <laughs> it's 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 a fun sort of thing so I think it definitely helped propel the image of a cosplayer and that art into general media. I don't know if it invented it. As far as I said, in Japan, it's huge there. Um, but I think it helped really normalize it, right? Because let's say I'm thinking right now is I like, go to Disneyland. Adults can't dress as princesses, only the little kids. But then you go to D23, which is like every other year, and adults just go for it. And because the Disneyverse, right, owns Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar I mean, you now see Leia's, like slave Leia's at D23. You see like sexy aerials. You see just this amazing stuff. And then even at Comic-Con, I remember one year I had a personal trainer and there was this guy who's also a trainer. And I saw him in the DC booth and he was dressed as freaking Superman. And he was amazing. I was like, oh my God, you're an incognito freaking comic book nerd who dresses up like I love it. So that was also another nice thing about Comic-Con is you'll run into people that you would never guess in your life would be there. And it brings us out of the woodwork. And one of the things I say about nerds is nerds create and we congregate. And Comic-Con is like the perfect example of that. You bring up a good point there, Drea. In our last episode, we had an author of a book called The Wisdom of Gunkles and... Uh, talking about, you know, gay uncles who impart wisdom to their nieces, nephews, their nibblings and the LGBTQ community for the nerd chapter in that book talks a lot about intersectionality. So what you're saying is the Comic Con is that place where these these intersectionalities just really come to light. And I think Tamara, you were starting to indicate on that with the panels you were on. And then Drea, you talked about really being recognizable as one of the very few women, one of the very few women of color in these spaces. Do you, either of you see how comic cons have helped the idea of the chosen family under these nerd spectrums? And what have you seen at cons that you think have really helped with that? There's so many, again, there's so many people that come from all over the world, right, to Comic-Con. It's, it's, it's that nice middle ground, that Mecca. And if anything, it's like, hey, it's not just me who loves this. And it's not just me who dresses like this or looks like this or thinks like this or, and even socioeconomic, you know, like it just brings so many wonderful people together. And then for the cosplay, they have the costume ball, which I've always wanted to go to, you know, where people can kind of come together. They're really great about having events gosh, 24 seven, right? They'll have like these move, free moving watching. They have events all throughout downtown San Diego, which are fabulous for people. If you love Dexter, if you love, if you love Wonder Woman, if you love Hello Kitty, you know, pick a thing. And that's what actually kind of made me a little bit sad. It's a double-edged sword because once the movie studios and then the other bigger entities came in, these events became more accessible or available. But before that, it was also, it was really more comic book focused. And I, there are parts of me that do miss the days of being able to just look through stacks and buy books. And as Tamara was speaking, I was remembering a, a panel that we were in with Kevin Smith. And it was the year that, was it X-Men? I guess they were blowing up buses of, of mutants here and there. It was that panel. Yeah. And Kevin Smith, he's the moderator. And he goes, holy crap, we're in a panel that talks about comic books. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is movie and TV. Which is why I think they also adapted it the, during the time where I've been going as comic book and media and arts, right? Because I think mm-hmm. they recognize it was no longer just comic book focused. Okay. okay. It's, it's also about visibility, right? Like, okay, good point. 
you know, it is a place where prior to social media, it was weird trying to find someone else who was a nerd. And I remember, I think it was sophomore year, and I don't remember what it was, but we were talking about something. Andrea said something that I, and I was like, oh, she does comic books. And I was like, I found another one. You know, like, it's like, you know, at that point, you just didn't know how to find people as easily because it's, you know, the, the, the start of all that stuff. So now people of color, people who are not just straight white cis dudes are much more visible. And the thing is, we've always been here. My thing always is if a white, if a white guy, a straight cis white guy who's a jerk says, I've never met a woman or a just whatever marginalized community member that's been a nerd, it's because you suck and they don't want to have a conversation about it with you. They're they're like willfully choosing to ignore the fact that this demographic has existed the entire time. Women have been equally into comics. They're the reason why Star Trek, women are the reason why Star Trek still exists, by the way. Like, if you go back and look at it in the 70s, women had, there was a group of women fans that had a fanzine that had fanfic about Star Trek, the original series, and that's part of the reason why it survived all that that time. So I'm just saying we're here. So it's not, we've always been here. We always will be here. If if women or people of color or some marginalized communities not talking to you specifically about it is because they do not feel safe to talk to you about it for whatever reason. Along those lines, what can either of you talk about as you've seen this progression of more acceptance, not only in the comic books, right? You know, I mean, you have Miss Marvel now, you have all this representation, not only in the movies, but in comic books themselves. As both of you have attended comic cons, of course, there's always blowback by what we'll call the loud majority of fans of comic book or comic cons. What is that space like and how has it evolved at cons for people of color, for the LGBTQ community, for women? I've never been uncomfortable at a con. I have been uncomfortable in some comic book stores, you know, and that's the, that's also the benefit of being in Southern California. It's a very diverse place. So any place that we're going to that's a local convention is going to have the local people there and it's a lo- local diverse community. So I don't think I've ever been in a space that was a convention space that I did not see at least a good chunk of something else that I visually can identify. Little comic book stores are different because it's about kind of positions of power. So it's the people who are working there that are judging you or asking you, you know, extra questions or trying to mansplain things to you. Like you don't have like 500 issues of Wonder Woman. I will say that for San Diego Comic-Con in specific, I think the biggest kind of visible female presence started when the Twilight movies were coming out. And that's part of the thing that really turned it from a convention to kind of like an epic convention because Twilight fans are diehards. They were lining up and violent out, like, <laughs> a little bit. And so they were just like super into it. And like, you know, there are some people who used to, you know, 20 people, 50 people maybe would sleep outside to get a space in a, in a panel at Hall H or whatever, but it wasn't as widespread as it is now. So that was the thing that kicked that off. So it was like 500 women and girls sleeping out to try to get this to this thing for whatever days they would buy it. That's how all the tickets got bought out so early because they would not, they didn't have a schedule when the tickets went on. And so that kind of saw an influx of largely straight cis women. And these are people who are more specialty fans because they may not have been into other things that were there, but a lot of them have since branched out and found other things that they were into, which is really cool. But I, I feel like that was like the bigger influx. That was like the change. 
And my, my side chat about Violet, I remember, I think it was the last year that Twilight was there. I remember hearing in a line, they're like, oh my God, someone stabbed another person in the eye or the face with a pencil because yeah. they wanted to be in the front row, Hall H. And people yes, those were dudes, foot. though. Were those dudes? I can't yeah, remember. Those were dudes. <laughs> oh it, was, it was dudes and it was, they, were, they were inside. I can't remember exactly what happened. It was like a Thursday. People really want to be in front. Yeah. Um, and, and that wasn't even about Twilight, by the way. That was like Marvel. I think, excuse me. I thought that was either Twilight or Harry Potter. I remember. Or maybe maybe it might have been Harry Potter too. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I I, I haven't been to con, gosh, for maybe like four years or so. But the last one I went to, I feel like there was a bigger presence, at least of women in terms of in the media. I remember going to an Atomic Blonde premiere. And um, one of the cool things they did is they gave everyone blonde wigs and men. Like I was, I was all with guys. And they were wearing the, you know, the atomic blonde wigs and they were loving it. And right, like if you haven't seen the movie, it's like freaking John Wick, but style and she's kicking ass and she's getting tired. It's great. I, I love it. I feel like there's a lot more representation of women. In terms of the LGBTQ, I sadly, nothing comes to mind that resonates in my memory. But for some reason, I'm thinking about, so on Sundays, Comic-Con used to do was like family day. And so at least in that way, I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, the program wasn't as great. Well, one year they had Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo Bay and family day. Really weird. <laughs> Not at all. Family appropriate. Yeah. Well, That's there, amazing. questionable programming things. Yeah. There has been a marked increase on LGBTQ plus panels and panelists. I think a lot of openly identifying LGBTQ plus people are, are big names, particularly in the comic industry, which is a big deal because it is that stereotype of you know the straight white cis dude thing has such a hold in a lot of these arenas and it's just the imaging of it because it's not it's like as i was saying it's not been true this whole time it's always been a diverse number of people but i think it's a lot easier for the people who have always been there to be more visible so for sure like all the industries themselves the lgbtq is the slowest kind of upcomer over other minority groups but that doesn't keep from lgbtq identifying people with finding a place at comic con in cosplay again Mm -hmm. that idea of chosen families you know people you choose to bond with over things is certainly helped through events like comic con what we're seeing right now in terms of media television film book comic books is there's now more queer identifying people that are emerging in storylines, we have yet to really have a queer person at the forefront. The Superman is the LGBTQ identified person or the main character, which is is neither here nor there. Um, the acceptance of the LGBTQ community from the outside, again, someone who's never been to Comic-Con, just appears to be a safe place for people who are mm-hmm. questioning themselves in the first place yeah. and can identify, you know, people who identify as men wanting to try out makeup Comic-Con is certainly a place that that can happen. A male-identified person dressing up as Wonder Woman, I'm sure is something you may have both seen, something Mm -hmm. along those lines, because that becomes the place where it is acceptable and it's not... It definitely comic cons are that place where someone can express themselves in ways that may be not as acceptable in general public. Yeah, they feel more comfortable. Yeah, and most of the nerds that I know, or basically all the nerds that I know, are very open accepting people and I think that that intersectionality with other art spaces is what helps that because there's a lot of like theater kid there's a lot of like band kid and like 
such a hodgepodge of just all kinds of stuff. There are people that you know that end up being gay or they end up being trans or they're bisexual or they're whatever, you know. So I think that that definitely helps. And I think that, again, this loud minority of people who want this identity to be this one thing, it was never that one thing. They just have to be more accepting of the fact that it was never that one thing and will never be that one thing. Finally, she reminded me of something as flashbacks and memories waiting in line 13 hours to see a thing. When you wait in line, you meet all kinds of people, right? This is how a lot of people actually really meet a, a great deal of the time at Comic-Con is you're spending hours in line with these people. So what do we talk about? You're my line buddy, you know, hey, I got to go get a thing. You want some? So uh, some of these people are not very talkative and not that they're anti-people, it's just social skills need to be developed, right? And so this is a way that people can do that, whether they realize it or not. But I'm also thinking about, you know, what is that number of people that don't go to Comic-Con because they don't like giant crowds? right? Pre-COVID, like it took a lot, I think, for some of the people that I met in line to not just get the money to get there, but just to get there and be around all these people, like all the time, you know, a lot of anxiety there. And I'd like to think in what I've seen, at least in my, my work world is, you know, the silver lining of the pandemic is, if you will, is there's a lot more virtual events. And so we're seeing a lot of people attend events that would never, ever done it otherwise, because now they're getting access to things that are not in their backyard that they can log on to, just like how we're all talking now. So I, I was sad that I didn't get to go to Comic-Con last year, the virtual, because I really think this virtual idea is really cool. I've been telling Tamara for years, I will gladly pay 50 bucks a day to just see a panel. Because again, we'd have to wait two panels beforehand to see the one we want, not always get in or get a good seat. You know, like, why have we not been live streaming this stuff for, you know, longer now? Because you can make so much money, you could hear everything. You wouldn't have to worry about people pirating the movie as you're seeing the trailer. I'm hoping to God that this is a, an outcome of that. 100%. I've been talking about some of the, if we can find any silver lining positives in, in the COVID-19 pandemic in all industry, the fact that in education, we have board meetings now available via Zoom where they have multiple language interpretation and a sign language interpreter live right there. The access to things is so much better by being able to offer it. And frankly, some cheaper version for me, for me, it was always money educator. I never really felt I had enough money to blow a few hundred dollars here and there to join y'all at Comic-Con because how easy would it have been to say, Hey, yeah, get me a ticket. Yeah. Include me in the hotel, even murder hotel. Like it would have been super easy to do it. But I've never felt I had the the expendable money as a teacher to be able to do so. So just the access, you're 100% right. It's exciting to think that that could be a beautiful, beautiful byproduct of the pandemic, which leads me to one of my next questions. Take the pandemic out of the equation. We're in our 40s now. Don't worry, I won't say exact age. We're, we're all a bit older. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I embrace. I embrace our yeah. age. I'm sorry. I I, I love know. being our age. I love. I actually being got carded age. the other day. I was really excited. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I, that that still happens to me too. It's probably yeah, more. Several people at work were like, "You're 28." I'm like, "Ha ha, bless your heart." Um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna say it might be the way I dress. It's good. Hoodies and and t-shirts yeah. and the melanin, makeup. the no. moisturizing, <laughs> the minding our business. <laughs> Yeah, it's the fact that we all went to USC. That's my, that's, that's my, not everybody can be as perfect and beautiful and smart and intelligent, but uh, <laughs> being the age we are now, take the pandemic out of it. Take the idea that it might be a super spreader. As you mentioned, Jaya, do you still go to Comic-Con? 
Yes, I would. I still go. I, it is one of the things where I get the most. There, there are certain people, even though they live in LA, literally the only time I see them is at a convention, and specifically San Diego. It's stupid, but that's just the way it is. It is tiring, but it's super fun. I would never recommend somebody to go to San Diego Comic Con for their first convention. It is such a huge event. And it is a lot to get into, like, you know, the hotel apocalypse and then, you know, which is what we call when the hotels go on sale. You know, yeah. everything is very difficult to, to get in. And so it's Disneyland on its most packed day. Like it is a lot of people. So I always recommend going to a smaller show first to see if you even like a convention. You might not even like it. It's a thing that could be fun. You can meet a lot of great people or it could be too many people for you and you don't get to see enough stuff and it, it's too big. So like if you're in L.A., Go to WonderCon at Anaheim. It's basically run by the same people, has the same level of star. You may not have parties and things like that, but you get to see good, great, great costumes and things like that. It's a little easier to get to. Los Angeles Comic Con, also easier to navigate. Uh, tickets do get sold out, but it's not the crazy crush. Uh, Long Beach Comic Con. I actually got a picture with Jason Momoa there, pre Aquaman. Because I didn't, I didn't even think he was going to, like, I was like, oh, who's even there? I just was going to go because I got invited to be on a panel. So I was like, oh, yeah. And so I was like, let me just look. This is the Friday. The day before <laughs> the convention, I was like, I should look and see who's there. Maybe I can interview somebody or whatever. I saw Jason Momoa. So I was doing photo ops. It was like 80 bucks, which sounds like a lot. But it's Jason Momoa. It is not a lot. I would have paid twice as much. He put his arm around me. He smelled <laughs> like the woods. It was delightful. Um, so, That's you know... Awesome. And especially if you like, if you're going specifically for comics as well, going to the smaller ones are better because your comic creators will be there. You can talk to them on the booth and get stuff signed. You can buy toys and do all that kind of stuff without the mad crush of people. It's a little bit more chill. I would, I would go again. I'll still go. It's, you know, still, still my people. <laughs> so I, I have the hybrid move modular approach, if you will. The past couple of Comic-Cons, San Diego Comic-Cons I've been to, I've not purchased a badge. Because the inside is just so hectic to get from point A to point B. All the things that I love doing as a person and as Tamara, one of the things we love to do, we go to the DC booth and we wait in line for the artists or the writers. And one of the things I would ask the writers, like, tell me like your 10 favorite words in the context of Wonder Woman, right? And they love that challenge. Or with the artists, you know, draw me, whatever. And to me, like, those are my most cherished memories. It's, you know, I have a, a sketchbook full of things. You can't really do that now inside inside the convention center but outside as I mentioned earlier there is so much stuff going on that does not require a badge and that's what I've done the past two years that I've gone it's like I enjoy everything outside my friend goes inside for like a hot second to do a thing and then we just enjoy outside we did like the sci-fi bus I won like all kinds of cool swag there was like the sci-fi hotel that they did we happened to get into the purge night little pop-up shop yeah you know, there's all, all these things everywhere around Comic-Con. So if you don't want to pay or can't afford to pay or for whatever reason want to do a day trip, go down to San Diego, enjoy all the outdoor experiences. And then if you want to actually get a convention experience, do the WonderCons, do the, the LAs, because it's a lot more like bespoke and almost esoteric and just really, you know, if that's really your jam, you can find that and not be waiting, you know, 100 million years in line to do it. Yeah, and everything I want to, I really want to stress that there is a convention for everything. There is a Power Rangers convention in Pasadena. There is several tabletop things that go on all over the place. There's, there's, I think there's a My Little Pony convention that's somewhere in LA <laughs> as well. Uh, Friendship is Magic, most specifically, but you know, 
all iterations, I'm sure, are welcome. But there is there is a convention for everything because there are like-minded people who like a thing enough that they want to get. And that's what it is. It's people who are fans of things who want to get together with other people who are fans and have a cool time talking about stuff and being a freaking nerd and maybe buy some stuff. I have noticed that some of the entertainment industry has moved that way. I read that in 2019 or 2020, some of the bigger like Marvel backed out not backed out but pulled from such a big presence at comic-con and a few other bigger industries or groups did the same and likely that's because what you just hit on tomorrow that they can do their own thing right i know there's walking dead cons all over the place i see the them advertised yeah. on facebook well, or whatnot supernatural conventions right same company runs a bunch of those oh yeah was it wb did one right they did the virtual one last year where they oh yeah premiered. fandom Mm-hmm. That was doing that again this year. super yeah. cool on demand, you know, so if you couldn't be there live to watch it, you could watch it later. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if fandom, they made it a thing regularly instead of like, they'll still do panels. Now, I think we've reached the saturation point, you know, the bubble is it's not a burst so much as it's kind of leaking some air, making it a more manageable bubble. Yeah, it's more like things are boiling over, but that's the thing. It's Comic-Con the past few years. I'm sure tomorrow you can all you can test to this really better than I, I think those experiences outside are there because there's not enough space inside. Yeah. And they're That's running right. out of space. I mean, you have to get like on a freaking shuttle bus to go a million miles out just to get to another thing. And it's so big. Yeah. It, it needs to kind of unmanageably there. big. Yeah. And like having the stuff outside, like uh, Adult Swim usually has a carnival. Mm-hmm. So they have like they did have rides once or twice. I don't remember if that's a thing that's normally, but it's mostly little games that you can play. Yeah, they had some, some rides, like you do like little like go-karts, like in a little circle and like, yeah, it's a really cool carnival. But you got to wait like five hours to get in. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all a waiting game. And like, but the irony of course is that if you are going to San Diego Comic-Con and you like comic stuff, you probably won't have to wait in a five hour long line because everybody's going to mm-hmm. Hall H and sleeping over, which I mean, if you're paying good money for a hotel, I don't understand why you're sleeping on the floor, but that's just me. Um, Also, I mean, but I'm going to say that just speaks their age too. I mean, it it just depends on what that thing is, right? If if they had Buffy the Vampire Slayer reunion, I can imagine the three of us would figure out a way to stand in line however however long we needed. (laughs) I would. I'd stand in line however long I needed to figure that out, to trade spots with people. I don't know. I would would do whatever I needed, but I mean, you as a presenter and you in yeah. you're both in the industry I'm sure could figure out some yeah. other sneaky way that a, a teacher like me that has to sit outside for three we'll days if I in. have to I would we could save up for VIP we'll figure it out yeah <laughs> I mean yeah but you know what I mean there are things that I would stand yeah. outside for you know, yeah, I, fully, you know without I having those connections I've never been a camper is really what it is I like the outdoors <laughs> but I'm not a camper so that's that's really my thing it's like I like a lot of stuff and I like it a lot but I also like beds and I like not sleeping in bugs. So that's just really my personal thing. And I can't say that I've ever stayed outside in a line for days to see something. I know like yeah. way back in high school, we went to Reno Jazz Festival and Arturo Sandoval was having a clinic Ooh. and we waited the day in line <laughs> to be in like third row for Arturo Sandoval and this little teeny room that he presented to like 200 people and we were five yeah. of that two those 200 people like that was worth seeing i could see myself something more extreme ces one year i stood outside to get free tickets to see fleetwood mac 
Yeah. I, I waited for hours, hours and hours and hours. My partner had left. My best friend had left. They'd all gone home. And I waited and waited and waited and was able to get a seat. Actually, I like way extra benefits. I ended up in a, at a table with a bunch of people who had left. I can't even remember what company it was. But next to me was a table with, you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis oh, and T-Boz and a whole bunch of people. And I was geeking out the entire time while they were there to watch Fleetwood Mac, just like the rest of us. So, th- I mean, there are definitely things I could yeah. see myself standing in line for waiting and standing in line for hours is different because i'm bougie i do not like camping waiting i'll wait in line for eight hours for something i've done it before i'll do it again we're standing up for a long time it's nothing we were in the band it's nothing it's a game day i'll do it i don't have a problem with it it's just the overnight sleeping on the ground thing where i'm just yeah yeah the cold thing yeah i mean i i purchased chairs just because of comic-con like i'm always looking for lightweight Mm -hmm. chairs that i can pack into a bag to wait in line comfortably And there are also other people where it's like, you know, if there was like a Linda Carter meet and greet kind of thing, I would be tempted. But also, I love her so much that I don't know if I could meet her at this point. Just to be normal in front of her, I don't know if I could accomplish that. Have I told both of you the story about how I talked to Wonder Woman? No. How dare you? So our freshman year, I don't know if either of you remember, but I was matched up with pretty horrible roommates to start. And I, 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 let me back that up. There was really only the one that I shared a room with, we did not get along. And I was the only one left in that apartment by mid-year. One had been able to have her dad get her out of the contract so she could live in a sorority house. One left the school and then my roommate, we were talking early on and she was like, oh yeah, you know, my aunt Linda, and like, oh, cool, cool. And she's like, well, my aunt is Linda Carter. And I went, wait, what? She goes, yeah. And so I totally forget about that. Time passes by where later in the semester, you know, freshman year is a thing in, in the USC band. So never thought about it. And that we're talking about 1996 to listeners. That means we had a house phone, no cell phones. We had a house phone that was shared between everybody. So there's a little notepad next to the phone that you take the messages and, you know, this, that, and the other. So I pick up the phone one day and, oh, hey, is so-and-so there? Oh, no, uh, she's in class. Can I take a message? Yeah. Can you tell her her Aunt Linda called? I said, sure. And she's like, how are you doing today? I said, I'm great. How are you? It's just a nice little, you know, whatever you I write down. Okay. I'll let, I'll let her know that you called. Okay. You have a nice day and hung up the phone and thought nothing of it. And a few hours later, my roommate comes home and says, you know, Hey, what's going on? And I was like, Oh, Hey, your aunt Linda called. And she goes, okay. And she stands there and she's staring at me. And I go, what? She goes, you talked to my aunt Linda. Yeah. My aunt Linda Carter. Oh my God. I talked <laughs> to wonder woman. Like I flipped out so it was a brief conversation but yeah. i had at least spoken to her once but you're right i would stand in line to to beat her i yes. would stand in line to see her yeah and it, it is but the grace of the universe that you did not recognize her at the time because i don't think you would have been able to have a normal phone call with her oh no my head probably would explode i probably would have been yeah. a heap on the floor crying like, oh uh... my god i can't believe that yeah, i probably would have made a fool of myself catwoman lovingly smushed dre's face at a uh frankincense when we were standing in line for the autographs oh that was no that was at um the shrine yeah yeah so so we were we were standing in line at frankincense that that is where i spent a lot of money she was always taking off i got another one i was like i'm gonna find some anime tapes i'll be right back and so we were standing in line got autographs and she was like oh you're so lovely and put both of her faces hands on uh, Drea's cheeks and smushed 
not like it was a gentle smush, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. That's but, amazing. Yeah. See, I will say one thing I love about our college experience being where it is and being in the USC band, we inevitably found ourselves in, around celebrities. Mm-hmm. I'm really thankful mm-hmm. for that experience to not make a fool of myself when when we run into celebrities. Just being in yeah. LA, right? Being around celebrities has been been nice. Kevin Costner came to a football game uh, here in Santa Barbara. I don't know what the connection is, but it was at our rival school and we were all there because administrators have to be present. And he came to our gate and I had to tell him and his family to go to the other gate for the home team. And I so badly wanted to say like little context, that school's stadium is brand new. They just had it rebuilt. I want to say they built it and you came, but of course (laughs) I was smart enough to not like, you know, like make a stupid (laughs) remark. It's, it's so hard to be professional sometimes. I told you this, Annalise. I saw Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie yes. Prince Jr. on my plane. Yes. Mm. And I happen to have like Buffy number one comic in my backpack. Don't know how and why. And so when we're all getting our bags, I was like, no, no. It took so much of me to like not approach her. Yeah. But it was still like really cool. Like, yeah. oh my God, there she is. I want I to saw, touch you. I saw but again, yeah, in a game. Go- going to SC, right? You're just like, you see Lily Tomlin and Jimmy Smith and all yeah. these people yes. just going around on golf carts. You're like, okay. You and know, they yeah. filmed episodes of Buffy there. I remember yeah. stalking this, like, outside of the sets, watching them all, like, come in and out of trailers and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky. So that if attending a Comic-Con with celebrities would, would not be a really big deal for us to not, I don't know, who knows? Who knows, who knows for real? Geek out or not geek yeah. out. But I know time is precious, and I know there's so much more we can talk about, but I appreciate the uh, the tips. I love the insight. I love your willingness to to talk to to us and our listeners about your experiences as women of color. Tomorrow, for sure, I, I may have mentioned this outside of recording this episode. Somewhere down the line, we fully plan on doing, you know, a, a woman and women in comics type of deal. And, and some of that, you know, people of color you mentioned earlier, I would love to dive deeper into that sometime down the line with the podcast. Drea, I know you and I have spoke about your experiences in the in the industry, I can imagine our listeners would be really interested in separately. If I may say so, your husband is a CGI artist in the industry, and I would love to hear about his nerdism path into that career. So there's so much wisdom and input both you ladies can bring to this podcast. I'm really thankful for your time. I want to invite you to participate in a piece of our episode that Rob and I do every week. And if you could answer two questions for me, the first question being, what is the nerdiest thing you did last week? And Drea, let's start with you. There's two that come to mind. One was I was talking to a girlfriend about the new Pokemon Oreos and how we want to catch them all. <laughs> and the other one, I was talking to another, another fellow nerd. And I forget what we we're talking about, but then we're like a million dollars. Then we started talking about how Austin Powers and that whole thing. We're like, no, no, you got to ask for more because today a million won't buy you crap. <laughs> how about Austin Powers has so many lines that are used now that people just don't really realize that's the origin of it. It's pretty amazing. That's, that's pretty, good stuff. How about so you, that, Or I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you said you wanted one this week, right? So we're doing, still doing this, this past week. Yeah, that's just what you, the nerdiest thing you did this week. So tomorrow, what's the dirtiest thing you did or last week? It's kind of hard to just every waking moment feels like a nerdy moment. I think it would be that I was measuring all of the art pieces that I've always intended to put on my walls that I never got to. So from cons and things like that. So I measured them all out and I have a list 
of the about size frame we need to get to get them framed. And I'm also contemplating, I'm going to start doing measurements on the walls to see how I'm going to go to the mount. So that's that's kind of up there. And it's not it's not the nerdiest thing I've ever done, but it's up there, I probably. Tomorrow, I'll oh. start with you this time. What is the nerdiest thing you're going to do next week? I'm going to research a specific type of monster to write in a, I'm custom writing some D&D adventure one shots because I don't have time to study existing ones, number one, to run for people. And number two, I want to write something for those who are going to start playing. One shots are not always able to be played in one day or one like two to four hour session. So my goal is to write ones that you can play in that amount of time. So that's going to be, that's my project for this next week. Very good. Andrea, what's the nerdiest thing you're going to do next week? I am a Willy Wonka fanatic. I watched that movie so many times as a kid. I have it memorized. And so even behind me, I know it's a glare. Um, it's a hundred percent soft print of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So in the movie on October 1st, the kids enter the chocolate factory. So on October 1st, I will be watching the original Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder and see those little <laughs> those little kids <laughs> enter the chocolate factory. Very cool. I didn't know it was specifically October 1st. So that's that's said in the book? Uh, no, it's in the movie. They say it in the movie. It's okay. on a ticket. Yeah. I never even noticed that. Learn something new. The things you know, the things you learn. The more you know. Well, I certainly, um, like I said, time is precious. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I want to thank you both for being on our podcast today and love you both. And I can't wait to see you at homecoming. And otherwise, I know this conversation, that's one of the things that happened with our episodes earlier. These conversations can just go and go and go and go. So Mm -hmm. thank you both for being here. And we'll talk really soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Once again, we want to thank our guests, Drea Avila and Tamara Brooks, for their time and their information. So, Rob, what is the nerdiest thing you did this week? So, as you know, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. New Year's resolutions are all about like things you want to change or things you want to stop doing or, or something bad. So, instead, what we like to do is just arbitrarily, we take the year, right? So, if it's 2021, we choose 21 things we want to do that are exciting to us or projects that we want to get done, but it's all about want and cool. So, let's put a list together of 21 for 21 things that I want to get done. This year, I got 21 things. Most of them have to do with getting stuff done. And by getting stuff done, I mean nerdy game room projects like painting boxes of miniatures or finishing 3D printed game type projects and things like that. So the nerdy thing I did this week is I got to knock two items on my Trello board and slide them over to the mission accomplished column when I finished a box of miniatures for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles board game or skirmish game. And also I finished that project of 3D printing the entirety of the Castle Ravenloft board game. So those two got moved on over. Amazing. And I've certainly joined you the last two years with the year goals, if you will, rather than resolutions. So that's exciting that you get to move two over as we are heading towards the end of 21. For me, the nerdiest thing I did this week was put a bookshelf here in my my little office space of my apartment for a few reasons, but mostly because while we are a podcast audio media, 
we are on Zoom with our special guests, and sometimes that includes a screenshot that we put out on social media, and I started to want to have a nerd display behind me, and so I'm starting to build this little corner of the apartment that we just moved in maybe six, seven months ago, and I was taking selfies. I was taking pictures of myself on Zoom by myself so I can see what it looked like behind me when I'm standing up, when I'm sitting down, because it's a, a convertible desk. So the nerdiest thing I did this week was to see how, like, which comic book should I put up front? What should I rotate next? Bend on the episode. Should I have the wisdom of Gunkles up there when we did that episode? And you can see right now, there's actually something you gave me right there. Our listeners can't see, but it's a little spike figurine from Buffy the Vampire Slayer that we can't see because the screen is reflecting on it. I didn't notice that before. So now I'm going to have to rearrange to try to, to make sure all this stuff is seen. So that's pretty nerdy thing that I did last week. And what, yes, so what's the Giles though coming in strong back there? Yes, the Giles is amazing. That was a, a wedding gift from one of my former roommates who wa- I watched Buffy with while we were in college. So front and center, Fiesta Giles is very rare. You, it's it's a get. So what's the uh, nerdiest thing you're going to do next week, Rob? Next week is all about furniture. Another one of the exciting things that I've been wanting to do is get this nerd room of doom back here organized and so lots of furniture has been coming in drawers and display shelves and cabinets and cupboards are stacking up in huge boxes and so we're gonna have to start putting some effort into building furniture getting this place organized because i don't want a i don't want a cave back here i want a nice fresh bright place that people want to be not not a mess (laughs) over here in my game room well, if I may say so, as someone who's been to your place, it does not seem like a cave, but I hear what you mean about the organization and the sleekness, the visual sleekness you're looking for. I think you're, you've done a great job organizing the multitude of nerd that you have all over your area there. So I'm looking forward and obviously we'll likely be there helping you build stuff. So keep that in mind that I might be part of your nerdiest thing next week. Speaking of Buffy again, my nerdiest thing for next week, my partner has never seen Buffy. I think I've mentioned this on a couple episodes before, and we are right at the last two episodes of season two, becoming part one, becoming part two, which are on my top 10 best episodes ever. So I'm really, really geekily excited to show her this these last two episodes, which in my opinion is very much some of the strongest part of the seven year series. So she doesn't know anything about it. She doesn't know anything that happens after. So she's, she's half been like, Oh, angel better not die. Angel better not die. And then as, as the season progresses, that dude has got to go. So it's going to be really interesting to watch someone knowing, watching this for the first time without having any context of what happens after. So I'm very nerdily excited about. Oh my gosh. Listeners need to know how much of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer nerd Annalise is and how much pressure there is on this. It's going to be the last episode of the of the season, right? Is the Buffy episode? The Buffy episode is the last episode before we go on winter break. Okay. I have been going back through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've, I'm through season two. I got a long way to go, but man, oh man, I'm I'm cranking through it because I don't want to let you down. I know. I definitely am looking forward to that recording that episode with you. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we have enough alikeness and enough differentness in perspectives of the show that I think it's, it's going to make for a really good episode. So I'm excited. Our next episode is Batman's Best, where we will rate 
and discuss which movies, comics, or TV shows displays Batman's best villains, sidekicks, origin stories, and more. That is going to be a fun one. We know that you have something to say about this episode. Join in on the conversation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at NerdBestFriends. Or send us a message by writing to NerdBestFriends at gmail.com. Please make sure you like, follow, share our podcast, and check back in two weeks for that Batman episode. With that said, Rob, it's always a pleasure to nerd out with you, my friend. I feel the same. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. You're in a space of no apologies. What was the question again? <laughs>